Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's I'm Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Got Kid Presentable here. Got DJ Mark here. Lavender Gooms uh, taking care of some uh, work matters tonight. Couldn't join us, but uh, we're getting his picks, so his genius will still be with us. I want to welcome you guys all to episode, fuck, a lot of It's I'm Amazing Radio. I thought about, full disclosure, of just starting this episode off like in honor of the 25th anniversary of Monday Night Raw. I was going to go full Vince McMahon with it. Like, welcome to, but I don't think my voice could take it. I was going to need a throat lozenge or like some green tea afterwards or something. So, um, welcome to the show. Um, we got to talk about, uh, we had a double card night where I think if anybody listened to the show last week, we made it abundantly clear that the UFC card, um, the UFC card is not, uh, was not enough to draw all of our attention, especially when Bellator was sending out some good fights. So we're going to talk about Bellator 192. Um, we're going to talk about UFC 220, of course, and then there's this Fox card happening. Is it Fox or Fox Sports 1, guys? Is this a Fox Sports 1 one happening, looks like? Uh, I think it's main, main Fox. Straight main up Fox. Fox. Jesus, and that's the main card. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about this UFC on Fox card while it looks a little, t- uh, real thin in the main card. There's some fun stuff happening on the, happening on the undercard. Um, so we'll talk about that a little moments, uh, or a little memoirs of a fight fan. Um, Realizing now that a show has started, I did not tell Stefan what we're going to talk about. So that's, that's a good start. Um, and then, uh, a little stuff we like and everybody goes home. Um, hey, I can answer off the cuff on the fly. That's right. Stefan, that's your prof- fucking professional. You just, you, you just improv that shit. Um, all right. Uh, Marcus, we, um, we went out there. We got real hyped for a heavyweight fight and, uh, Steve Miosic got it done. He, why don't you tell the folks what we saw over five exhausting rounds? Yeah, um, it, it's unfortunate that Mike isn't here because he was the lone guy to pick Stipe. So I would love to kind of hear, hear his kind of thoughts going into that fight. Um, I think we're all fairly confident with Francis Nagano. I mean, I think a lot of the line was confident. The, the things I saw online, a lot of people thought Francis was going to pull it off. Um, and like I spoke to last week in great length about the aura that this guy had um, and kind of the interesting, fun thing about those guys that ascend to that kind of, you know, height in uh, MMA, it, it doesn't always last forever. And, uh, you know, often they get exposed. And I mentioned uh, Connor and Ronda Rousey. And I think what was a little more bittersweet about this one, when you look at a guy like Connor losing to Nate Diaz, that was just a fight that was really a drag out fight that he just barely, you know, he kind of just barely lost because he made some tactical mistakes. Um, but in this one, we, we saw Francis really just, not have the skills in certain areas to compete at this high a level. Um, and I think at least we also not saw, yet. What's that? At least not yet. In yeah, fact, at least I mean, not yet. I mean, I'm, yeah, we're not closing the book on him, obviously. <laughs> He's still a really young guy in a division that we've seen, you know, these guys stick around for a really long time. But I think really what we got in this fight was an, an extremely exciting first round where ultimately I think that that round was the ultimate demise of Francis Nagano in this fight. Um, he came out really aggressive and he didn't do a lot of the things that he's been so successful at. And in my eyes, that's 
kind of sitting back and kind of analyzing the fight, kind of downloading what the other guy is doing and then capitalizing on those small mistakes. He really seemed to want to push the action early, be very aggressive against Stipe. And Stipe's counter, which was incredibly smart, and it was one of the things that we knew that Stipe could do. We haven't seen him you know, utilize very much in his recent fights, is, is utilizing his really strong wrestling to kind of ground Nagano and take the fight to somewhere where he's going to be a lot more dominant. And it was interesting that I think the first takedown he got on Francis was against the cage, and Francis was able, able to pop back up. Um, and then later on in that first round, he was able to get him in open space and kind of landed in the uh, side mount. And we really just saw Francis is inability to kind of work off his back and it's a different kind of strength and endurance you need to kind of be able to grapple at a high level in a heavyweight division no less um to kind of be able to utilize those muscles and shrimp out correctly and there's a couple times where stipe you know i think he was inside mount he decided to posture up and start punching uh francis and it took francis a good while to realize like oh i should be shrimping out now like this is a time where i could kind of like i talked about how he's so good good at you know looking at small mistakes and capitalizing them, that really seems to translate more in the stand-up and less on the ground. He doesn't have those P's and Q's where Stipe made a decision to, I'm going to sacrifice position and holding this guy down to do some damage. And Francis didn't have those reflexes in, in that state of uh, of the game to be like, oh, this is a good time for me to explode and get up. It took him a second to realize, oh, I need to shrimp here. I need to get the underhook here. And a couple times he got the underhook and he just didn't have the, the know-how and the positioning to kind of scoot himself tight and be able to utilize his hips and his own strength to get himself up. And these are things that, you know, he can learn over the course, but it's also one of those things that kind of makes you think like, okay, you know, it, it sets the expectation more realistically. Now, like before we kind of thought this guy, you know, sky's the limit, who knows how far he can go. But now we know that, you know, he definitely lacks some skills in the wrestling. And yeah, I think in this fight, it's interesting going into the fight. It didn't seem like Francis was, you know, it didn't seem like he was feeling the pressure. He seemed very calm and collective and all the pre-fight stuff. But once the fight started going, he seemed a little frantic in there. And like I mentioned, you know, I think Francis is, is at his most dangerous where he's kind of sitting back and looking at what's going on and finding those moments to capitalize and exploding. In this fight, he tried to make those moments. And I think he was winging big punches that I think sapped a lot of energy. And I mean, and a lot of what I'm describing is all in the first round because Rounds three through five were really just Francis having no gas tank. And Stipe, I mean, for a couple rounds, he literally just, I, I during the fight, I kept calling it their safe position where Francis would kind of be on his hands and knees and Stipe would be kind of on top of him against the cage. And neither guy really did a whole lot. It wasn't a super impressive fight for Stipe. He kind of did what he had to to get the win. But well, it wasn't I mean one of those... Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I mean, that is, I mean, I think the last two rounds were like, we would have liked him to put his foot on the gas more. But a lot of Francis, I think a lot of people are focusing on Francis' struggles. And I mean, there was, what was the kids' record in the UFC? Five and oh, six and oh, something like that. that. Yeah. They weren't close fights. Um, and then he, uh, I mean, he knocked out Alistair Overeem in what, a minute and a half, two minutes or whatever it was. I mean, Alistair Overeem almost put Stipe Miocic's lights out. So I think, I, I mean, uh, Stefan, a lot, I know, again, as I mentioned, we really wanted, we wanted Stipe to put him away. Um, and Stipe went a little bit risk averse with it, or fuck, quite frankly, he just looked tired, also himself at times. But, uh, credit is due to the man to be, to figuring out this puzzle that no one else has gotten close yet, right? And he figured it out. I mean, it was, it was that complicated of a puzzle. Like, I think we, we kind of knew it. Like, um, not to take anything away from Mike making the pick, he stood by it, but, um, that's, I, I, I totally saw this outcome, you know? 
Um, and I think Stipe did fine. I, I don't want to give him too much, like, I don't want to say harsh that he, he could have done more. Maybe he couldn't have, because what I learned is he's got a hell of a chin. Francis, he missed a lot of punches. He hit a decent amount, too. Um, you know, as exhausted as Francis was, uh, you saw it, like, once or twice in the latter rounds. He still knew that if he was going to get a knockout, he needed to explode for one, right? Um, yeah. He wasn't just kind of winging nothing. You would see these little moments where he's on his feet. All right, this is my one chance. And you saw he still had force in his shots. You know, uh, Steve, his eye was pretty messed up at the end of that fight. Yeah, I mean, he didn't get, I mean, he only hit, got hit so many times. You can look at the stats and it was kind of ridiculous. Um, it wasn't a lot of hits, but you could see the damage was there. He he fought a smart fight. I, I definitely yeah. give him that. Um, I mean, he talks about, he said like, man, he's like, man, you see how hard he hits? You see what he's been doing to people? I had to like, it wasn't fun, he said. He says it wasn't fun to get hit by him. It was painful. Um, yeah, something I, I think, something... you know, Sipe, it's a, he, he entered kind of rarefied territory, being the only man to defend the belt this many times. Uh, I think there's still a little hesitation on him just because it's not, nothing's flashy, right? Um, I mean, yes, the Verdun one kind of was, but there's something about the guy. Uh, you heard it in his post-fight. This guy needs to learn how to enunciate words. How is it that I mean, the guy I mean, with English as a second, maybe third language, because I'm pretty sure Francis Nagano speaks French as well. English as a third language. I understand everything that man is saying more than the guy who's from Ohio. Um, yeah. Steve, doesn't was, sell it, but uh, I did love that moment at the end. Well, that was what I wanted to point to. Dana on. White to put yeah. that belt around well, this, He took no, that no, belt he, from Dana White. Well, I mean, there's. I wanted to bring that up because there's more to that because Stipe said he was kind of pissed that the his promoter is basically – it was pretty clear who they wanted to win, right? Let's not even front here. We knew who they wanted to win. And Stipe, that wasn't an accident. He said, he said, they said, why did you give it to have your coach do it? He said, my coach is somebody who respects me. And then he said, they asked him, does Dana White respect you? He says, I don't know. My coaches do. And I know, and the people matter do. So he took it I real personally, man. I, I mean, honestly, I think like, they gotta make, like, he, he makes, I think people get their feelings hurt here, man. I'm like, I think, I hope Steve realizes, like, he looks at those checks he's been getting for other fights. And if he's getting points, they had to make it like, fuck me, Steve is not that interesting. You said it yourself, Stefan. So we gotta build up the boogeyman. We're it's, trying to help you. It's yourself. a real, it's a comeuppance thing. It's, it's, it's a cake and eat it too, you know. I totally respect every fighter that doesn't wanna be the shit talker, that doesn't wanna be the loudmouth personality. But then when you also complain that you're not getting promotion, like, it goes both ways, you know? It's it's the whole squeaky wheel gets the grease type thing. And it, I mean, it's not just shit talk either. He just, in general, has not done anything to really... Stand I mean, out. He's not, yeah, exactly. He's I mean, an excellent again, fighter. He has an he's enunciation a... problem. He's grumble. He's marble mouth. Like, he, it's not that he's an uninteresting guy. Like, when I watch the Embeddeds, I think he's a really cool guy one-on-one. -on -one. He's a guy you hang out with. And then, like, okay, this guy's cool. I mean, he'd be kind of a clown. He'd joke around. He'd be fun, like, as one of your buddies. But that doesn't translate to an audience. That doesn't yeah. put people in the seats, you know? Like, it's not judging him as a person whatsoever. And I think where you said people get their feelings hurt, that's what they don't understand is, like, I'm a nice guy in these situations. Why doesn't a crowd? Yeah, of course. This It's not hard to understand that someone's more marketable than you. And I, I don't think it's a matter of respect. It's... Yeah, they want it's it's a cash game. He should know the game. He's he's a smart enough dude to get it. So yeah. I feel like I mean, his also kind like of I mean, is a little misdirected. They literally they gave him CM Punk once on his card in his own in his hometown to help him sell. Like it's not that they don't want their heavyweight champion of the world to sell. World to sell. They they would like to make money too. 
by the way, folks, you should note this is we're just universal, uniformly, me and stuff on agreeing with Dana White, or maybe, maybe Dana White necessarily. We're like, we're on the side of the UFC on this one, weirdly enough. Marcus, Stipe went out there, said, I am the greatest UFC heavyweight ever. I mean, I, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it's hard to argue him, you know, defending the belt three times where no other heavyweight has done it. I mean, I think that's kind of an open and shut kind of factoid that you pointed him to, to, you know, critique, you know, to basically, you know, back up that claim. Uh, this performance didn't really reek of that though. Right. And that's kind of why, I mean, I, I agree. I think that, you know, no one's been able to hold on to that belt. Yeah, no one's had a better career. If that's what, if, if we, no one has had a better UFC heavyweight career than Steve Miocic. Yeah. Basically, and I think that's totally true. And it's just, I think, I think one of the things is just like, yeah, they, I mean, it, it's coming off of this performance. It's kind of hard to be like, oh man, like, Without a doubt, the best heavyweight ever. Looking at that performance, I mean, because it was a gutty performance and he had to pull it out, but it wasn't one of those like if he if this fight was the Reem fight or something, or it was the Verdum fight where he you know finished the guy in the first round. I think that argument just carries a little bit more Man, weight. If he, just, if he had put him away at least in like the third or the fourth, if he put him away either way at some point, yeah, it would have I mean, really helped. That all being, I think that makes it even more like open and shut. But yeah, I mean, it, you can't really. It's hard to really build an argument against. This guy's been champion. He's defended it three times. No one else has done that. That kind of any argument you want to raise against, like, oh, it should be Kane or it should be Brock or Alistar or uh, JDS. It's kind of like, well, they never held the belt that long. And it's like, yeah, good point. You kind of got me there. So it's kind of, yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think it's totally true. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how long he can hold this because, you know, like we said, we had a front runner. We had the guy that kind of had that aura, who had the star power, who had a lot of the, the hype going into the fight, and Stipe was able to, to to crush that, and that's not the easiest thing to do. No, no, not at all. And uh, maybe okay, let's just knock this out right now. There's one fight at heavyweight we're all talking about, right? There's exactly one. Oh yeah, we all want to see him against Kane, right? It's Kane. That's what I want to see. It's not even yeah. like there's no second unless Daniel Cormier is moving up. I want to see Daniel. I want to see Kane Velasquez versus Stipe Miocic. That, yeah, that's the agreed. fight. Um, let's uh, move on here. Um, excellent performance by Mr. Miocic, Stefan. Um, Daniel Cormier, Vulcan Ozdemir. Um, uh, this was my favorite part of the UFC card this, uh, th that we watched. Um, this, this, I thought it was the most enjoyable fight for me. Um, what did you, uh, what you talked about, uh, Cormier's dicey early performance, omens, and, but overall performance against, uh, Vulcan Ozdemir? Um, yeah, I, th I believe Daniel Cormier got a performance of the night bonus for this. Um, and based on what happened on this card, I can't dispute that whatsoever. Um, when we were kind of picking this fight, I said I had some general uh, concerns for Cormier in general, you know, because what was our lasting thing? You know, I said that head kick he took from John Jones, that's a life altering head kick. And I think in the early minutes, you might have seen a little bit of that PTSD. Um, Cormier looked frantic in the first two minutes in a way I had never seen him like, you know, Ozdemir came out sharp. He stuffed a couple takedowns too. And that, that shocked me when, when, um, cause he was winging, he was tagging Cormier a little bit. Cormier kept dipping to the right. And that kept making me that's, super that's, nervous. That, every that single is the, time. that is the thing he got knocked out with. That is Jones picked that up. Greg Jackson picked that up. Mike Wiggles. Yeah, picked he, that up. It's, that's it's an kick. instinctual thing he does yeah. when, uh, he feels he's losing in the standup game. But uh, you know, a couple again, a couple of a couple of those uh, shots that Vulcan threw, Cormier shot in, and while he was fresh, Vulcan he he whether it's he had the sprawl right, he got his hands down low to uh, stop Cormier from really getting anything deep on him. Uh, that was there for for a couple minutes. So in that time, I was like, 
oh, Vulcan is looking a lot sharper than I thought he would be. Like, maybe there is something to this no time guy. Um, but then ultimately, to a lesser extent, not as extreme of an extent we saw with Francis Naganu, it kind of played out the same way, right? We saw in the second round, uh, once Cormier got his feet beneath him, Vulcan slowed down, and he slowed down immensely between round one and two. Stefan, um, did you do you get the impression that this was a fight? This is like my first, the first light heavyweight title fight we've had so far, which felt like a Mighty Mouse fight or some Mighty Mouse fights in that he's fighting a guy who's not what is not at his best. Like we haven't seen this guy at his best. You know what I mean? He's not, or even not, you know what I mean? Like he's still very much early in his crescendo and ability, like almost like a like a Borg. Or, like, one of the other young cats Mighty Mouse beat up recently. You know what I mean? Like, it seemed like one of those I, fights to I, me, didn't you think? Like, light heavyweight, I think we could all say Vulcan getting a title shot is kind of just a war of attrition. Gustafson yeah. wasn't really ready. Um, I think there was an injury, right? Gustafson yeah, was probably primed to get it. Yeah. And then it's like, what? We don't want to really, like, who else is there? You know, Jones is gone. We don't really, Shogun has won something, but no one wants to see him fight a real guy. Uh, Freaking, um, what's his name? Manoa. Uh, Manoa, you know, he he's lost. Oh, he lost to Vulcan. So you let Ryan Bader, you let Ryan, you let Ryan Bader leave for uh, no, no reason. The Brazilian dude who just won recently again. Um, old guy, been around a minute. Used to train with Chuck Liddell. Uh, you know who I'm talking about? Oh, Glover. Glover. You know, it's just like there's not really a lot of contenders surging. So yeah, here's a guy who had some flashy knockouts. It, Vulcan Ozdemir really was a case of why not? Mm. Like, what else are we doing? Um. But again, in that second round, once he slowed down, Cormier got more comfortable. And once he put the wrestling in and, you know, Vulcan didn't have that energy to shuck him off anymore, uh, you saw what happened. It, he got the Roy Nelson crucifix where it's nothing is damaging, but you can tell this is a man that has no idea how to escape it. We got like two minutes left in the round. This is only going to add up. Like, it's just one of those. Yeah, why not? Um, it was a great performance, but that's the thing is, I just got to say, it's like the, the Roy Nelson thing is I get why you stopped that. That is not an exciting stoppage. No, like, I think I think the referee was just like, "We're done here, right?" Like it was one of those. Like this isn't getting better. Um, Marcus, um, Daniel Cormier today said he's done March 2019 because that's when he's 40, I guess. Um, what's today? It's it's January. He just fought in January, so let's let's think it out, guys. Cormier fights like once every six months. He's got two or, or three, two or three left tops, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you want? Um, I think what would make sense, I mean, it all depends on how those fights go, right? Like if he gets creamed or, you know, seriously injured or something that could all put hiccups in it. But, you know, I think if he continues to win fights, I think, I think next everyone's talking about him and Gustafson doing yeah. it again, right? That seems to be kind of the talk of the town. Excellent first fight. So people seem into that in general. One of the best yeah. light heavyweight I mean, I, So what I see is I see that fight. I see him maybe after that defending it one more time. If a new contender kind of rises to the ranks, and I don't know who that is. I think. Maybe Manoa. Maybe Glover. Maybe Glover. He's not. He's new to DC. If he fought Glover, isn't he? He didn't yeah. beat Glover yet. Yeah. So I mean, it kind of de- you know it, has Manoa fought Glover. They might have, and maybe Glover. Did Manoa lost like a couple fights here, didn't he? I know I, he I, lost. I, let's go. The two five such a disaster. Yeah. So I mean, I, so what I, I I ultimately see is I think he he'll rematch with Gustafson, or that seems to be the next the next step, and then. Either he defends the belt one more time, or I think he goes up to heavyweight and tries to unify the belts before he retires. I think if he still has the, the light heavyweight strap when he's looking at that last fight, I think it only makes sense since... I mean, it's almost hard to, to say it makes sense for him staying at 205 because that weight cut just seems to be 
you know, extremely difficult for him to make. Uh, but I ultimately see him retiring in the heavyweight division. And I think it's a lot more interesting if he has that light heavyweight belt going into that and they kind of do a unification. Because I think that does, he doesn't that he doesn't want he says he doesn't have a lot of interest in that weight class because Kane's still going for the belt. I think if it was 100 percent clear Kane wasn't going to get a sh like if Kane lost to Stipe or something and like he's not going to get another yeah, shot I necessarily. I, 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 yeah, I guess I should preference if, if Kane is the heavyweight champion at the time that. DC could potentially make his last fight at heavyweight. Then, yeah, I don't think he would do it. Then, yo, how how fucking badass would it be though? As you, I mean, if he's already light heavyweight champion, his last fight, he asks, he he wins the heavyweight title and just pieces out. That'd be a gangster right. way to go. Yeah, out. I mean, I think that's that's kind of how every fighter would want to end their you know UFC career. But like you said, he does it. He that man's champion. Yeah, basically, he goes. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> there's a couple roadblocks before we get there, right? I mean, there's time. I think he will defend his light heavyweight belt one more time. And if it's against Gustafson, that could be a tough out. And, you know, what? We'll it was a very close heavyweight... first fight. That's a good point. It was a very yeah. close first fight. I don't know how long Gustafson's out. So we'll see how long it takes for that fight to happen. Um, so we'll see where we go from here with DC, who, um, nice of him to get the W there. Uh, got a lot of crowd support. I feel DC's gotten more crowd support now than he's ever gotten. Um, we didn't watch, I didn't pay attention to the next two fights, except I was, I thought the judges giving Barossa any rounds was, uh, big bag of horse shit and most people with eyes appear to think so too i guess credit is due to volante just because i mean the on and off we were watching it steph he had a really nice performance i thought nice okay that's uh he didn't you're he a didn't fall fan apart. of that guy he, he didn't fall apart guy in the third round for you if you call that a nice performance Fred samara <laughs> barroso has inherited cajal's pendred's title of i don't know what you are as a fighter <laughs> I don't know if you're a grappler, if you're a striker, so much as you kind of exist in that cage, and I don't think you have any type of plan whatsoever. Uh, that man was sloppy in that cage. It's tough. It's like I can't picture. I suddenly can't picture how he ever won a fight now after watching that fight. He walks around and jabs and throws straight punches, and hopefully the guy doesn't hit him in the face. Stefan, um, I'm gonna give you your thing. You give you your due here, brother. You are the only one who picked Rob Font, and. Honestly, what I want to say is, do you think Thomas Almeida gets hit in the head way too much, or is it, or, or am I alone with his opinion? Uh, that's exactly why I picked Rob Font. Mm -hmm. um, if Almeida is exciting, but it's funny his his kind of critiques on his him have kind of been the same as Rob Font. Um, they're great pressure fighters early, but they can uh, kind of be front runners too. They can get hit. They can fade. Um, I thought in that regard, Font was really restrained. Um, he wasn't berserking, you know, he tagged Almeida early, but he let, he let it work. You know, you saw him hunting for that uppercut all night. Um, and in the second round, he put a bunch of strikes really well together. I think it started with like an overhand right straight, which led into a couple uppercuts, which had him like duck into a head kick. Um, font, he, I, I think, you know, grapplers are still going to give him trouble. He seems to be purely a standup fighter, but Almeida gets hit. I think um, I, I didn't want to abandon ship on him as a prospect, but I am. I, I was starting to think that we've kind of seen maybe the ceiling for Almeida. He's just not tight enough. He's not technically sound I, enough. He gets a little wild, and that wildness, like he's at, he's young, he's athletic. You know, he'll throw a cool flying knee, but he keeps his hands low. He doesn't really get out of the way. He's a little linear of a Muay Thai fighter. Um, yeah, I just need to see him to fight a, like some little bit of like lesser competition, maybe of like because he again he's taking a lot of damage and he's pretty young. 
It's just, I don't want, you know what I mean? It's just. When you say lesser competition, he fought an aging Brad Pickett who was about to retire. Uh, and he almost knocked Rob fucking Font, head off. Rob Font, 15, like, if Almeida's a prospect, I don't think we're mismatching give me an him. Ameri- I think give he's me, just probably getting hit. Just give me an American wrestler who can't strike, man. Let's, let's, let's give me one of those. All right, let's give him, let's give him a gimme. Give him one of these cards in Brazil that nobody watches when he'll be fighting at three in the morning. Um, anything from the prelims you guys give a shit about? Do you guys even remember watching the prelims? Because I don't. I don't think I caught any of them, to be oh, honest. Uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan murdered Saba Homasi with that, um, with that uppercut. And then uh, he was number one in sports under top 10. So that was a vicious knockout. I think he got paid, right? He got paid. Um, so, yeah. Um, and Gleison Tebow came back from a susp- two-year suspension to get starched in one minute. So, there's that. Um, so, uh, you said, we say we weren't really, we didn't really watch much of the other main card fights is because we were watching Bellator MMA. Um, I guess we'll start from the main event and go down. Um, Stefan, you said something when we were watching that being a Quentin Jackson fan stopped being fun. I believe a long time ago. Yeah. Um, you know, when coming up in pride, Rampage was this goofy, young, athletic dude. You know, he, he was kind of a raw athlete who just had a lot of power. Uh, we see that in other people who we kind of get on the high trains, a la Francis Naganu. Um, it was fun. It was goofy. You know, yeah, it, it's a little, it, some of it was a little creepy when you actually want to break it down. He's Rampage doesn't have the greatest reputation of how he handles women. Um, but the thing about that personality, that sophomore humor is it does not age well. And Rampage, as he got older, he never really changed or grew in any kind of way as a fighter, as a person. And now it just kind of feels dirty being a Rampage fan. Yeah. Um, he, if you didn't see it, um, he showed up at 253 pounds, but honestly looked better than the last time he showed up really heavy against King Mo, at least on the scale. He slammed Chael at one point, but he got taken down three times. He owes Chael $30,000. Um, and then Chael, he said Chael fought smart, but Chael fought like a bitch. Which I'm like, Quentin, it's... You can't fucking play this fucking song all the time, man. Like, it's mixed martial arts. Learn, you gotta fucking defend a takedown. You used to be very good at defending takedowns. You used I mean, to that, take people down. Wrestling used to be a part of Rampage's game. Yeah, and now it's just he—he he just wants to punch with you now, and very poor punches at that, mind you. Um, I don't know what fight he wants. I don't know who he can fight that would give him the fight he wants anymore. We are going to be ignoring Quentin Jackson fights, I think, going forward, at least for any purpose besides God. Quentin, why are you still fighting, Marcus? We got ourselves a, a new welterweight champion in Bellator. Um, assuming the motherfucker can ever walk again, what did you think of Douglas Lima and Rory McDonald throwing down? Yeah, it was kind of a surprising fight, at least from my standpoint. Um, I didn't really give Douglas Lima a lot of credit in this fight. I thought Roy was going to pretty much have his way with him. But I I was surprised with just how proficient uh, uh, Douglas Lima was standing up. And that really kind of was the story. Um, You know, all these fights we watched, it was hard to really focus and remember all the subtleties um, while you're watching two different fight cards at the same time. But, I mean, from what I, what I vaguely remember is I thought, you know, Rory kind of was edging out the first two rounds, um, utilizing his wrestling um, to kind of negate some of the striking. But I I remember going to that third round being like, man, Lima's really landing his jab, you know, frequently, and those leg kicks are good. And it was really in the third where those leg kicks really started adding up. And he basically 
you know, got a knockdown off of late kicks and uh, followed up very well. And that kind of changed the whole dynamic of the fight where it became kind of desperation for McDonald to get it on the ground because he could not. I mean, we, ultimately in the fourth round, he immediately shot, was able to take him down. And that's where we saw, you know, his left shin just lit up. There was a huge hematoma, whatever you want to call it, a giant welt. It was um, a hematoma ultimately. He didn't have anything broken, so. Which is good, but it, it looked awful. And I mean, he was fighting like that leg was basically, you know, done for. So, you know, he really had to pull out a gutty performance. And it wasn't, I mean, you look back at some of the classic fights he's had with, uh, you know, Carlos Condit and uh, Robbie Lawler. We didn't really get one of those. They're standing in the middle of the cage, you know, just staring at each other. You got kind of, in my eyes, probably maybe a tougher fight for him where he, he was kind of desperate. Like he needed to get the, that fight to the ground. Each of those last two rounds, he was taking a lot of damage. Um, and he pulled it out and he, he got the win, but it was one of those wins where, you know, if you're doing it by the, the Diaz scorecard of damage, like that guy did not look like a champion walking out of that cage, having to get carried out, his face busted up in addition to his leg being wrecked. But, you know, he did what he had to do to get that. W, yeah. And, and that shows a he lot. Got of that that he needed heart. that. It's not seeing, um, you know, having a, a guy having a successful transition from the UFC in a Bellator. It's getting rare at this point. Stefan, I thought despite him losing, this was a good night, not a good night necessarily, but like. In terms of reputation, I thought it was a good night for Douglas Lima because I think people are people were able to see that he very much can hang, you know, with a guy who beat the current UFC welterweight champion. Yeah, and no, a fight I, that wasn't close. I totally agreed with Mark. Like my big takeaway from this fight was kind of being impressed with Douglas Lima and a loss. Um, I think ultimately, uh, at the end of the day, two—I don't know if it was all three. At least two of the judges scored it four to one. But um, entering that fifth round, I very much could have believed a two to two. Um, yeah, I, I thought it came down to that. Uh, I, I would have given Douglas two of those rounds in there because I, I thought it was that close of a fight. Um, and you saw Rory give him props, which was cool at the end. He said uh, it was Rory the best said, fighter he's ever fought, right? Yeah, that was Rory it? Like, ha said hands down, this is the toughest guy he's ever fought. And Rory's fought a who's who. He, in fact, he has a win over the current champion right now. So shit wasn't um, I close. Totally, I totally <laughs> think that's validating to Lima because. That's something that sticks in my head. Rory didn't scrape by Tyron. Woodley couldn't do shit to him. That jab, his takedown defense, he was just better than Woodley in every single facet. And that wasn't like young, young Woodley. That was like Woodley right in the middle. You know, yeah. that was Woodley. Like, it was shortly thereafter that Woodley would have his run to the title. Um, so I don't feel like it's like he caught Tyron. I thought he that was a prime Tyron that he fought at that time. Yeah, I mean, and like, it's enough, it's enough that I would look at him. Like, I mean, if they fought right now, I don't know who I'd pick, but... He, it wasn't that long ago, as you put it. So, um, yeah, and it was a. It, it wasn't like you know there was no spectacular finish, like you said. It wasn't the Condit thing where you got to stop him in like the last second type thing. It didn't have that that super like all out war, but it was a hard, grueling fight. Um, the fact that Rory could stand at all, you know, then he was still shooting for takedown. He was eating shots to get those takedowns he needed in the end, but he got them in the end. Um, super gutsy performance by both guys. Definitely just a really scrappy fight. Um, we had Michael Chandler and uh, Goy. Did, how did they say his first name ultimately? Do you guys catch that at any point? Uh, Yamauchi. Yam I don't know even his name at all. Yamauchi. 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 Um, in a fight where I think Luke Thomas said it well about this fight that we really it, we really didn't get to see the skills that these two like they did. No one neither was able to bring their like their best assets forward in this fight, given how it played out. Um, but Michael Chandler got a big win, got himself a number one contendership. Um, one and one bum, Aaron Pico, as Stefan would tell you. 
Man, he reared back and 500 he, fighter. Marcus, he reeled back and smacked that motherfucker with that left uh with that liver shot, right? <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, for I mean, I I think, you know, the narrative had been for so long that this guy was so hyped up and it kind of all came crashing down in that first fight where he got knocked out, you know, in the first 24 seconds, but what I've seen in his fights, you know, following that is a much mature guy kind of learning from that one mistake that he can't just go in. Actually, he didn't get knocked out. He got choked. Um, he can't just go in there. He needs to be, you know, a little bit more methodical about how he approaches these fights. And what I like in these two victories is that they're both, uh, you know, wins by knockout, which in and of itself, I think, is impressive coming from a guy that, you know, has been wrestling his whole life to be able to learn how to throw a punch and then be confident doing so in, you know, a combat sport, I think can sometimes take time. I mean, we saw Brock never really seemed super comfortable with getting in those exchanges. It, it took him a long time to get used to it. And we've seen Pico, you know, get used to it very quickly. And what I really want to, you know, point out is that he had one punch that was, a, you know, a knockout from, you know, a head blow. And this one was to the body. So we're already seeing this guy diversify what he's able to do standing. And I mean, you look at those body shots this dude was ripping hard. Like he knew how to set them up too. He would throw a kick and then go to the liver shot. And he basically downed um, this, uh, uh, his opponent Shane earlier. And then he, when he got back up, he threw another liver, liver punch and was able to, to, to finish the fight there. So, I mean, I think we're seeing a little bit of a range. We're seeing him, his skill set not just get better using his hands, but learning that, you know, there's more than one target to go after. You know, you can go after the head and the body. And we saw him throw kicks. And I think when he starts utilizing all of these skills, and it looks like his boxing is already coming along very well because what we saw here, I mean, a lot of guys don't like going to the body because it can, you know, potentially expose you. You're kind of leaving yourself open to a headshot if you miss the body punch or it gets, you know, intercepted midway. You're kind of lessening your guard down to go lower to go to the body. Um, but there's basically a big chin right on the dude's body that a lot of guys don't utilize well. And to see a young fighter in his third fight, not only just realize that, like, oh, yeah, there's multiple targets I can't be hitting, but go after it viciously and, and, and score and be successful. I think that, that shows a lot of um, him learning and growing. Obviously, I think as he gets more fights under his belt, the competition will have to rise again. I think him and Freeman should probably have a rematch. I think that'd be interesting for both um, both fighters. But, yeah, I, I like what we're seeing here. We're seeing growth, and that's what you want to see from a young prospect. Even I, I if didn't he didn't like... come out of the gate looking like a, a you know a killer. I didn't really enjoy when Big John McCarthy's like, "All right, who do you want to fight next?" I'm like, "Dude, let's not send a two and zero mother, the two and one guy out. Like, let's do this right. Let's get Rudy. Let's find a Rudy Bears. Let's get ourselves Rudy. Whatever the Rudy, Rudy Bears. What weight class is this? By the way, let's find us yeah. the 145 pound Rudy Bears for him to fight. And if he beats him, we'll we'll talk. Um, yeah, like he still needs to grow, but he's looking let's good. Have him avenge his loss. That, yeah. that was an appropriate debut opponent. Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, that, that's why yeah. I think that fight yeah. makes sense too. I'm sure. Yeah, I think. The guy he fought is kind of like, I want to fight better guys, but you're probably not going to get another chance to get you, this you know what promo you know, you know what promotion? You know in what promotion? You know if the promoter wants you to win or not? A Scott Coker promotion. It's real fucking clear, guys. <laughs> All right? <laughs> then you know if he wants you to win or not. Um, Stefan, were you here when we were watching Corrales and Karakanian? No, I think I got there right after that fight. Uh, Marcus, just real quick, I want to say that I thought Corrales really performed well. Um, and I think he's kind of an interesting guy to look at in that weight class, given his, I thought he did a pretty good job imposing his will on Georgie, who I, he just really couldn't get off him as much as he would have liked against him. Yeah. It, it, it's hard to remember for me to remember the minute details of, you know, how Henry performed so well in this fight, but I, it seemed like he beat Georgie standing up, which 
Yeah. Not the route I thought. And I look, I didn't know anything about Henry going into this. And I think when the fight started, they said like, oh, you know, this guy's king of the cage um, featherweight champion. And, th- and that kind of got me a little bit more interested. Like, okay, this isn't just some guy that's had a couple local shows and he's he's on the rise, and but he's basically a body bag for Georgie. It seems like this guy might have some skills and he really surprised me in this fight. And I think it's definitely, it's one of those performances that hopefully next time, and it might be hard because we don't keep our finger on the pulse of Bellator um, quite as much as we do with the UFC, but hopefully the next time this guy has a fight, I kind of remember what he was able to accomplish in this fight. And, you know, he sticks in my mind a little bit more because this was a good performance against, you know, a guy that I thought was really just going to walk over him. So, yeah, all, my hat's off to this guy. And there might be more to him than we expected from a guy who doesn't have a Wikipedia page, right? We usually write those guys off. Um, I wouldn't say one of these cards overall was better than the other based on what we saw. <clears throat> but I think if you combine the two together, it was a decent overall night. What do you think, guys? That's my testament. Combined, it was okay. I, I think the, the fights were decent, but I, I think for me what was most interesting was that the dynamic that we personally were playing out, and it seems like a lot of MMA fans were probably doing the same, of watching, not only just watching both these cards at the same time, but to see so many of the people from the other organization on the other one. And that goes both ways, because seeing Goldie on so Bellator, weird. seeing John McCarthy in the booth, like that was weird. And then who else they had? They had uh, Jay Blazer. Which was weird. Or, and then, then they the had uh, Jen Brown in there too, man. Jen Brown used to be doing used to do UFC cards too. Yeah, and uh, American Ninja Warrior. That's where me and Stefan learned yeah. that she is a damn good interviewer. She's gonna get the answer she wants to get, and she doesn't give a fuck what you think. But uh, <laughs> but then on the other side, you had Jimmy Smith on uh, UFC. So it was it was really interesting just to see not only these events basically play out at the exact same time. But to also see so much of the talent getting inter- intermingled between the two, and it used to just be. Uh, UFC guys go to Bellator. Maybe every now and then a Bellator guy will go to the UFC. But now it's like stuff outside of you know the, the action inside the cage. You know the the personalities outside of it. You know the commentating being switched back and forth is not something I really thought I would see. I, I never really thought we'd see Goldie and Bellator, and I definitely didn't think we see Jimmy Smith in UFC. But this is the crazy world we yeah, live in it's now. A, it's, a weird, it's a weird time. I want to be. I hate. I hate to end this on a little bit of a negative Nancy note, but I will because it's something that stuck out to me about that UFC card. Um, This is the danger of a very, very thin card that's super top heavy with title fights because we are certain Stipe and Nagano is going to be explosion and dynamite. Um, When it doesn't pan out that way, uh, like again, Cormier, impressive as it was, it's kind of a generic thud that finishing with the crucifix, and then it was a lot of nothing on that card. Um, that's a, again, we saw this the first time it really ever stood out was, uh, John Jones back in the day. It's like, yeah, you're really not surrounding this with a lot. So if this, if there was a couple of years, is it worth ever? It's weight in gold. It's going to feel deflating. And ultimately it felt that way a little bit for me as well. Um, let's do a little wag of the finger. You and me, Steph to Bellator, because I think you and I still can't wrap our heads around the fact that. A sport. If you're airing sports on a three-hour tape delay, so you can show me fucking Last Crusade, which again is a solid movie. All right, I'm a fan, but fuck me, come on, like, yeah, folks, this is how we had to watch this thing because I don't got cable, right? So my folks do. I'm gonna use their cable login, right? And God bless the new Paramount website. Generally, a pretty good stream, I'd say, right? Enter the cable credentials, right? 
But uh, the this. funny thing was the broadcast was super crisp, but every time it would cut to commercial, it got real pixely. Yeah. I don't know the what com- that was. The, the commercials were really bad, but that's fine with us, though. Um, so I go, it, it's 6 o'clock on the West Coast, 9 o'clock on the East Coast. Um, Stefan's not here, here yet. Me and Mark turn on Bellator. Nope. We're not watching Bellator because it's like, oh, your computer is located in the West Coast. You must want to watch fucking Indiana Jones. So we had to get on the virtual private network. We had to VPN into New York City. And that's how I had to watch Bellator. Come on, man. Honestly, it just comes down to legitimacy. Um, Yeah. Show me you care. If Bellator, maybe they have accepted their lot in life. But in some regards, when I hear them talking, they haven't. They don't see themselves. They know. I think they, in their heart, they obviously know they're behind the UFC. But I think they want to believe they're a direct competitor, or at least an alternate competitor. But um, I can't take you as a legitimate organization as long as you are a tape delayed sport. Um, that goes back to uh, you know in other leagues. You know David Stern, um, the most uh, recently retired NBA commissioner. One of the great parts of his legacy was getting basketball off of tape delay and getting it to live audiences, which allowed it to become mainstream with the help of Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan. That was a big turn for the organization and its legitimacy. And now the NBA is totally ubiquitous in our society and culture. You know, um, that's a very big thing when it comes to sports. It's almost like they just, I think Marcus, you mentioned it was just like, they think nine o'clock is when people are going to watch fights. And I guess they think people don't give a fuck that it happened three hours ago. Yeah. I, I, It'd be such an interesting thing to be a fly on the wall in the in well, I I guess it's not. I mean, it's still Viacom, right? Yeah, it's in Viacom. These, yeah, in these meetings where I'm sure Coker's in because I mean, look at we Coker ran an organization. He didn't run his shit on tape delay. He ran it live no. on Showtime. Yeah. So it's not like I, I don't really point the finger at Bellator, the you know the guys running that show because I don't think it's their call. I think it's Viacom, and I don't know what the rationale is between like oh. It's, let's do a tape delay instead of airing it live. I mean, they, they must have something, right? Because I have to imagine that Coker and those guys can point the finger, but like we're degrading our product by do, not. You know what? Do you know what my impression of them is Marcus? Honestly, is I get the impression that if they gave, if you gave Spike TV the tape library of all the fight nights they used to air from the UFC, they would air that instead of Bellator. That's my impression. Because especially when they do shit like, all right, we don't need Jimmy Smith. You know what? We're going to have Frank Mir, Chael Sonnen, and now we're going to have Big John McCarthy doing commentary. Let's get Mike Goldberg in. You know what's even, you know what? We have this excellent two title fight, the title fight between these two 170 pounders. One of them we built up ourselves over the course of like 15 fights. The other one, um, is a what? The other one is a UFC guy in his prime. He beat the current champion. But you know what? Let's send Chael and Quentin out there as the main event. Because that was the Viacom decision, as Scott Coker put it. So I honestly get the impression, if you just gave them all the fight nights, they wouldn't even air Bellator. They would just air repeats of the fight nights. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're targeting a more casual audience, right? Like an audience that seems to, they don't think, care if it's on tape delay because they're not on Twitter watching, you know, Bellator MMA or or whatever, or keeping, you know, tabs on what's going on in the MMA landscape. They're just... Guys that are like, oh, look at Rampage. I remember him. Let's watch that, I guess, because I don't know what it, it always seems like it's kind of a, a like a an afterthought, right? Like they think the fans are just going to show up because they randomly switch this. Like, oh, yeah, I remember this guy. I'll watch it instead of like it's almost like it's almost like they think that they got to there's a whole group of people they think that doesn't know the UFC just lap. So they're like, oh, it must be UFC. It's, it's on Spike cage, still. So it's yeah, it's, 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 yeah. And it's just yeah. It, it, it's just weird. Like, I don't I don't know what the argument is against 
airing it live, at least See, in the more, West. If more people, if more people watch Indiana Jones, okay, show me the right. number though at least. <laughs> I mean, or maybe it's like, oh, we, we'll get people after the pay per view of UFC because West Coast are more like hardcore. I don't know. I, I, I really I, like I don't to. Get it. I like to hear their rationale and their reasoning for it, and maybe you know what I have to imagine it's it's a company. There's some kind of numbers to back this up, right? They're probably like, at nine o'clock, it does great. Well, they also were doing the thing where they were like, and you could tell I pointed it out. Where like they waited for stuff like they wait. They didn't start their main it event until DC, like it, right? Like we they were watching the DC fight, and once it ended, it's like okay, now we can finally. have Well, they our also main. like they 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 showed the heavyweights from earlier for no reason. Yeah, that for, was like, weird. Five minutes. It, yeah, it definitely rang. So they're that. clearly trying to like get people to switch back and forth, and there's a whole half of the country. Like, more people live in this state than anywhere else, man. There's 40 million of us. Like, if you're going to have that strategy, you got to do it completely. Steph, you going to say something? I was just going to say, yeah, it seems like they're working with old information. Chael and Rampage cells, that's old information. Um, but I think one thing uh, Mark kind of said, I think that, that kind of hit the head for me, at least it clicked, is I feel like that's who they're going for. They're going for the sector of the audience that, uh, to them, the term UFC and MMA is synonymous. Like, that's who they're going for. They, the people who are not watching organizations, they could not actively tell you who any champion is, but they are aware of its existence as a product. And you uh, remember, I just don't know. What to- I don't know how much that is. How much is that audience really worth to them? And it's just a weird thing that that's what they're kind of. Uh, I mean, like, focusing who, who are the, who are they waiting for for the UFC to let go of next? Which next old guy are they going to go after? Is what I'm looking at. Like that 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 whole generation of the oh, Spike you know TV guys are gone. The Diaz brothers so bad. They want oh the Diaz brothers bad. So, oh my god! Yeah. Um, all right. Um, you want to do memoirs? Oh, uh, some breaking news. This isn't even nothing really happened, but I guess the UFC is trying to book Amanda Nunes and Cyborg, which isn't really surprised there. They want her to do a May pay per view in um, in Rio de Janeiro. Cyborg is all about that paper. She wants to be on the International Fight Week card in July. So. Gotta give Cyborg credit, man. She's gonna fucking do whatever she can to get her paper. So, push for her own career. Um, I'm a let's book. Sure, let's have the fight. You guys give a shit? No, I got. I had negative opinions about it as well, but we'll save that till uh, we're actually breaking down the fights. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to that part there. Um, I'm trying to see if anything else of note happened. Um. Quite frankly, uh, Robert uh, Whitaker may or may not have a life-threatening staph infection in his stomach. By the stomach. way, that, you can't have a staph infection just in your stomach. People who are like no doctors have said that. He's got a fucked up staph infection situation, so... Um, oh, well, you know staph yeah, infections are the stuff of my nightmares, so oh, yeah. uh, anytime a fighter comes down with that, I don't think it's a laughing matter. Um, and well, if we, that's what's afflicting him, then I really hope he's able to come back from it. We need to talk about Conor McGregor just for SEO purposes. No, I'm kidding. Uh, there's a reason. Because Dana White went out there and said, Khabib and Tony are fighting for the title, for the undisputed title. People are like, is Connor stripped of the title? And then Dana White said, no. And then everybody looked at each other and said, how? What's going on? Um, was it Mike who said we just need an intercontinental title in every weight class? I'm okay with that. Intercontinental title. Um, or, Stefan, you had your idea. Um, this isn't my idea, but I liked, uh, I just liked a statement Habib made. Is that uh, Habib said that after he wins the belt, uh, Connor hasn't earned the right to fight him, and Connor will have to wait in line. See, that's I like adorable. Habib just flipping the script, even if he's in his own world by himself. You know, I've been championing Habib for some no, time. No, I, 
Yeah, uh, but I, I like the pendulum swinging back the other direction. To be honest, I just would. I, I just want them to show Khabib his check if he fights Connor and if he fights anybody else. And then oof, they told him to suck a dick to fight Connor McGregor. He'd do that because he'd get like ten times the money. All right, it's not even close. He's trying to get paid to fight Connor. Connor, his world will be ruined. By I want to see that. You know what? What's his name said? Um, uh, what's the name of Connor's coach? Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, give it to me. Um. No uh, why am I blanking? Just because you're asking. The AKA guys, Mendes. No, Connors. Connor. Oh, Connors. Oh. Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. Yeah. So Kavanaugh said, in his opinion, which he didn't. I mean, somebody asked him. He's not just out there with a flag waving the Connor flag, because you know they're like, hey, well, what would you think would happen if he fought Khabib? He says, I think he, he says, I think we're gonna fight Khabib, and I think Connor knocks him out in two rounds. And you know what? I know Stefan disagrees with me. Disagrees with this. I honestly do too, but I want to fucking see it. So does I really let's fucking see it. I don't disagree in the sense that I don't think it could happen because Habib has shown hittable, especially that Michael Johnson fight. That was one of the no, most but I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't trying to disagree with you or anything. I was just saying like, yeah, you can say that. But let let's see them fucking fight. Like, let's yeah, make this happen. Um, as being one of the biggest Connor marks on this podcast, uh, the, the pendulum is swinging really hard on that guy the other direction now. Um they should probably pay him. I, I, I just kind of feel like he's being his, he's been his own worst enemy lately. And um, I think people that I, I sense there was always a mark of people that kind of were annoyed by his fan base, but I feel like the tide is, is, is pushing back even stronger than before. So I hope he comes back soon. Cause I think that's the thing that's kind of just mutually grading everyone is uh, his indefinite holdout. I think honestly, this is the bed they made, man. They let him do whatever he want. And quite frankly, if he's going to get paid a certain amount to perform, they should probably. I'm not saying he's got a like hundred million dollars, but you should probably put up Mayweather promotions right next to the words UFC. Not Mayweather, McGregor promotions. That'd probably make him happy. Um, you guys want to win more memoirs of a fight fan? Yeah, just uh, since I'm going off the cuff, you might actually have to tell me what it is before I start talking. So, Marcus, um, actually, I forgot I came up with this when I texted you guys last week, but I said, "What is your favorite?" And we we've never done this before, where someone only talked about one thing. So. Say a few if you want. Your favorite or what is the best movie about martial arts? Not counting? Marcus? Oh, I said Bloodsport. I mean, you, you, you can't brought say Bloodsport. This, you, you, you brought this topic up in chat and I didn't respond and I should have because I thought it was a good idea. So but you said I was the, like, one, the one thing I can't pick is the gold medalist? Is the that's one because that's such see, that, that is like that, be, that movie is basically based off of MMA or MMA is based off of that. Yeah, so I it's mean, like, like that's, I mean, that's look, an obvious choice. Let's get some outliers. I mean, and also, don't give me Raging Bull either, okay? Like, let's, let's get interesting. I mean, look, I fucking love Rocky. I'm not going to talk about Rocky. Um, I got a few, I guess. Um, I really like um, documentary wise, I like Choke, which is about. The greatest fighter of all time, undefeated man, Hicks and Gracie. He's like a million to know. Um, no, jokes aside, it's a really cool story. I, it's about his career during the time he was taken on, uh, Zuluzinho, I believe was the one, one of the ones they focused on there too. That stage of his career when he's fighting in the, um, IVF, which that was the Valley Tudo one, right? Marcus, I believe that was the name of the IVF Valley Tudo or something. I'm not totally sure. Yeah, but you know, okay. That, those are the ones I'm, and it's such an interesting story. Um, and another one I really enjoyed was, um, from Netflix about Dustin Poirier's early team that was meant, that was run by Tim Crater. I think Poirier might have gone back there a little bit now too, but it was called, uh, Fightville and it was talking about their small, and it was before Poirier was in the WEC. Uh, Chase BB was on their team. Chase had fought a couple times in the WEC. 
I really like those two. Um, and in terms of fiction, it was kind of stupid at times, but I thought Warrior was pretty much as good as it was going to be given the parameters they set forth. If that, you know, so I give it a real tepid fucking endorsement right there. Um, Marcus, um, go ahead. Yeah, um, my main one, especially when, when we're looking at documentaries, um, I've always loved this one. It's probably one of my just favorite documentaries, um, is The Smashing Machine. Uh, this followed Mark Kerr um, in the lead up to their uh, Pride's first Grand Prix. And I mean, I'm going to kind of spoil it here. I definitely recommend you seek it out. I don't even know. I honestly have no idea how you'd find this thing. It's probably on is YouTube. Is this on Netflix or Amazon or I don't something? Think it's yeah, on, do I don't think it's on Netflix. Choke, but it, Choke by the way, Choke is on YouTube. And yeah, Bite I Bill think is Smashing on Machine might be on YouTube too. It's probably your best bet. Um, but what makes it such a good documentary is, you know, they're following Mark Kerr, who at the time kind of was the, you know, thought to be one of the best mixed martial arts fighters in the world, um, leading up to this giant tournament of killers. And I think what's really interesting is that, um, you know, you have to give a lot of credit to Mark Kerr, who is kind of in a, duff, a, a tough place, place in his life, allowing the cameras to kind of show... You know, not only I think the biggest thing they, they revealed that he had, you know, a drug addiction to to high opioid painkillers that was basically helping him get through, um, you know, his competition. And but it's really just kind of getting an inside look of, you know, what, what would drive a person to, you know, get into this sport, especially in those days, because like, like Bobby mentioned with Choke, um, Mark Kerr started in Valley Judo in in uh, Brazil, where there was literally no rules. There was no rules. I mean, maybe besides biting, I don't think I've ever seen anyone bite the other person. I remember Chuck but, Liddell punching a guy through the net. Like, yeah, that was and they had, they had a little <laughs> grappling net. And I mean, and, and, and it's in the beginning of the film. Mark kind of says, like, you know, I, I was a wrestler. I needed to get paid. This was a way to do it. And he talks about how nervous he was that first fight. He could barely have this little... This little cup of water he, he drank and he just he kept thinking he was going to, you know, throw it up before the fight because he was so nervous. And, you know, once he got in there, it was just it was just kill or be killed. And he, he talked about, you know, some of the things he did in the ring is like, yeah, you know, you open this guy's cut up. You're going to put your finger in there to open it up a little bit. Yeah, you're going to put your finger in there. You're going to do whatever it takes. And it was it was such an interesting look just at just at Mark Kerr as a character. But then as I mean, what's so cool about documentaries is and, and the choke one's cool because it follows Hickson and he wins that tournament. But what makes Smashing Machines so cool, makes documentaries, is that when you're doing a documentary, you don't know where the story's going to go, right? If it's a real-life documentary, you don't know where it's going to lead. You don't know what story you're going to end up with when it's all said and done. And the story they got there is they're following this guy that they probably thought was going to win this tournament. It was just going to be this big victory lap about how hard work pays off. But what you saw was this side character. They talked to Mark Coleman a lot because they were both friends. They were training each other and helping each other. You, and you got a good look into Mark Kirk, Mark Coleman's life with his daughters and his family, and that's what he was fighting for. And to see that kind of side story come to fruition as Kerr is, you know, basically he, you know, he uh, falling apart, falling apart. He's, he's he's backstage getting stitched up because he just lost a fight, and while he's getting stitched up, Mark Kerr has the best moment of his entire career. You know, beating Igor Borchanchin, getting that Grand Prix when a lot of people had written him off, and you know. That's what makes documentaries so fun. I mean, and there's so many characters, um, and especially if you were interested in Pride in that time, just seeing all the backstage stuff and just seeing how that organization was run is just so fascinating. Um, and just to see, you know, what it was like when you know MMA was super big in Japan. I just, I, I just love that documentary. It was such an interesting thing to watch, and um, 
I gladly watch it again. Some of the the, the fictitious movies, I, I think they're kind of hard to come up with. One of the things that jumped out at first was 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 it Dragon? Was that Bruce Lee fake documentary? I always liked that uh, one like, as a kid. I thought I that, one like had, that one. <laughs> I liked that one. I thought it had some cool fight scenes and stuff. I was trying to think of some other. I mean. It's not a movie. I mean, shit, but... man. Like, I mean, fucking, you know, the, the, the you know, the Last Dragon. Was it, it was the Last Dragon was that was just like a kung fu flick. Dragon was the one that was the documentary about. Bruce. No, which was the it one was about like the... a reenactment documentary? Dragon, right, yeah. Yeah. story. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one I, I I liked. And I mean, it's not a movie, but in, we've talked about it before. Um, I I love Hajime no Ippo. I think they just do such a great job. You know, tying in the actual techniques in boxing into this anime and just make it super fun. It makes boxing like a billion times more fun than it actually is to watch. Especially when I talked about, um, there's been some breakdown videos of the techniques they use in the show and they actually show the real fights using it. And it's not, of course it's not nearly as dramatic, but um, yeah, just a really fun show. Couldn't recommend that. Oh, one. By the way, I said last dragon. I meant enter the dragon. If we're talking. Oh, okay. About yeah. yeah another good one. There's probably, there's so many. Just, good ones just so then when you watch the movie, I can turn to whoever I'm watching with and say, man, you come straight out of a, out of a comic book. Excellent line in a movie. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, before Steph, before Steph, you go, uh, if you search The Smashing Machine, the first one is a full version of the documentary on YouTube. And nice. if you search Hick, if you search Choke Hicks and Gracie, first thing that comes up, full version of that documentary as well. Um, Stefan? Uh, yeah, I saw The Smashing Machine is a great one. I have, uh, I have a burned DVD of that still back <laughs> from, uh, in the days of when that was a thing that we did. Um, for I guess like everyone's kind of doing a category of like documentary, comma like a uh, fictional movie. Um, documentary, it's a little bit cheap because it's not a uh, uh, like a single thing, but it was an ongoing documentary series. I absolutely loved the Ream, um, the Ream web documentary series. I look forward to every episode that came out. Um, Overeem is a incredibly fascinating character in the sport and you got to see him through various organizations through his k1 tournament and you know it wasn't licensed because that dude had the best soundtrack that you have ever heard like their mixture of like hip-hop and like pop and everything in their soundtrack was always great the production was great seeing overeem's adventures as uberim in japan when he had like an entire girl pop band like holding his muscles or there was like a line mark you remember there's like a line of like 10 japanese businessmen and they were holding a muay thai pad and then fucking overeem needed as hard as he could and they all trickle like dominoes it was just a i mean if you like overeem at all this series was such a great look into his life um i loved it i i don't think it's going it's like i think now he like puts out an episode like once a year at best yeah. kind of there's never really been an official start or end to it. It just kind of came when it came. But um, it's definitely trickled off. But uh, I loved that for so long when it came out. Uh, and in terms of like modern like kind of combat movies, um, I happened to watch it again recently on the plane. And um, I'd only seen it once before. And I just forgot how good I thought it was of a film. And that's Creed. Um, oh, I forgot about Creed. Yeah, Creed is a awful. fantastic movie. And it kind of where it exists, as I've talked to people, like, Younger people who are, you know, Rocky is just this old movie to them. Creed is their Rocky. Like there is a reverence out there for Creed in terms of a movie, and you know, it's 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 following the formula. It's it's in the legacy, so appropriate. I honestly, so, Steph, but, uh, I honestly believe it is the second best one in my opinion. I love Rocky one. I think it's just, I think this is the second best 
film they made in that series. Yeah, I think opinion. that's a totally valid argument. Like again, having just watched it a second time, even on like that shitty airplane screen that's like four by four, um, I was reminded this is a fantastic movie. This is a great performance by everyone involved. Um, Ryan Coogler, that was his big directing breakthrough, and he's uh, he's got a big movie coming out next month called Black Panther that I'm looking forward to. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Creed Creed was spectacular. Um, you guys all had great picks. I've seen uh, everything you guys mentioned as well. But even though we can't pick it, let's be honest, it's Bloodsport. It's goddamn Bloodsport. Um, uh, something real quick. If anybody has ever seen, uh, wants to see the John Fitch, a, a bad one, and I like John Fitch, but Steph, that was not a good documentary. Oh, man, um, such great it took five It took five years. Here, here's a rule of thumb for a documentary. If you do not have access to the footage that this documentary is about, don't make the documentary. Do you know how bad a documentary is when the climactic scene is like two still photos and a couple audio excerpts? Like that's what we've been building up to for the last two hours. Is also, still I interest? feel without they didn't have that footage, they probably could have put it out way sooner. Like we were waiting so long for this fucking. That's movie. Another thing, it got so delayed. So you're like. You know, you're like, why? The anticipation of it kind of built up just because it kept getting delayed. You're like, what's going on? And like, why did this get delayed? You don't have anything. Um, and if you want to watch a bunch of racist white people cheer for Chael, which is actually a part of this documentary, if you ask me, uh, you watch Like Water, the Anderson Silva one. Not even kidding. Some people just really don't like, don't like Brazilians in that movie. Um, I, we went out of order. We normally do the picks, then we do Memoirs of a Fight fan. So let's do our picks. It's already an hour. This fucking podcast is already an hour long. God is my witness. This is not going to be another hour and a half one. Um, so I'm going to give you, we're going to pick this card, which has got enough good fights for us to justify picking this card if we look throughout the entirety and not just the main card. Main event, Derek Brunson, Jer- uh, Jacare Souza. Um, where the fuck are they, by the way, for this card? Does anybody know? Nope. North Carolina, sorry. North Carolina. Oh, God, there's going to be so much wooing. Don't watch it, guys. This whole fucking crowd is going to be wooing for three hours. Don't even uh, don't even do that to yourselves. Um, all right. Um, headline, Jacare Souza, Derek Brunson. Um, they fought. Stefan, when did they fight? Wait, say again? When did, Derek, when did they fight the first time? This is their second matchup. Oh, shit. I thought Mark had that info. I do not have that off the top of my head. Okay, let me take a look. Let me see Sorry if I can find that. it. It's okay. Uh, because this is I know I thought it was in Strike Force actually when they fought. I could be making shit up at this point. Uh, it was it was in 2012. He got blasted with overhand right is what happened. Right, he got knocked yep. out. Yeah, first round, um, 41 seconds. I don't think Derek Brunson has got better enough. Has gotten better enough to pull this off. He's minus 160, Souza, plus 140, Derek Brunson. Jacare's getting old, but I think he finds a way to get it on here. I got Jacare. What do you think, Steph? I'm pretty much in agreement. Jacare, he hasn't been young for a minute, but he's still freakishly athletic. Uh, the only thing that hindered him was he ran into uh, Robert Whitaker. You know, um, no knock against him. I think uh, Jacare is still, I think he's still way ahead of Brunson. Um, Mike. What did Mike pick? You go. We, we got his picks. Uh, and he uh, Mike is Jockery as well. Marcus, he's your boy. Yeah, do you dare go against him? Yeah, no. It, it, it's a clean sweep. I mean, I, I like Derek, and we did. I mean, it's see, a close. It's a close betting line, which so I think is kind of surprising. I mean, but, but we've seen Derek get a little better. He's letting his hands go a little bit more, and if he doesn't go nuts with it, he's had success. Um, 
I just don't think he's at Souza's level. I didn't think he was back then, and I don't think he is now, unfortunately. Um, this fight here, I think, is going to be the best fight of the card, personally, um, because I don't think either one of these men is capable of just having a straight-up bad fight. So somebody just note that I said that, so I've jinxed us. Um, Derek, uh, not Derek, Dennis Bermudez, um, Dennis the Menace Bermudez, Andre Touchy Feely, both these gentlemen went, uh, with, went, went with the rhyming path. Um, Andre Touchy Feely is coming into this one at plus 130. This is another close one, plus 135. Dennis Bermudez is coming in at, uh, minus 155. Has Dennis Bermudez not fought since he got mollywopped by Korean Zombie, or is there another fight in there somewhere? Uh, he did have one other fight. He, uh, he lost that. Uh, he lost Darren Elkins. Yeah, but yeah, no one beats Darren Elkins right. anymore. No one beats uh, Touchy Feely. Um, I thought he's coming off of a lot. Oh, he beat he beat Artem, but quite frankly, Artem is not good, and I really thought he should have fought better in that one. If I'm being um, honest, Andre doesn't win or lose two in a row in this in this promotion, um, and he's coming off of a win. I got Dennis Bermudez. Uh, Mike's got Dennis Bermudez. Mike, uh, Mark, what do you got? Yeah, I have Dennis as well. Um, I have been riding him a lot recently, which hasn't really worked out. But it's just because the skill set's there, right? He just needs to put it all together. And I think Andre Feely is a guy that will allow him to kind of be able to put those things all together. I think his wrestling is a little bit better. I think he's a little sharper on his feet. And he carries heavy hands. So I like Dennis in this fight. Um, Stefan? Uh, same boat. You know, uh, everything that holds uh, Dennis Bermuda's back is kind of in between the ears. Um, but physically, he's all there. Um, so we could be very wrong about both of these. You guys see that, right? Giving these betting, I mean, I, there's a reason these lines are as close as they are. I, really I know, think we and, but that's the thing is, I feel like the line is close because it's not about a physical thing. It's about Bermudez's fight IQ. He makes a mistake, um, but I've Every never fight. really been sold on Feely enough to capitalize on anything because what Feely is that first guy in Alpha Male, or maybe there was someone else, but Feely is the first guy who really stands out from Team Alpha Male where he wasn't this top flight wrestler they recruited and built into a fighter. He was just a tough kid from the neighborhood who wanted to fight. So that's like why he's kind of the outlier at Alpha Male. He doesn't really fight like the rest of them. But um Yeah, he was just a, he was just a juvenile delinquent. But that's part of why honest. I'm not sold on him is like it's not that he's bad at anything in my opinion, but I don't think he's great at anything. Basically, either. he's not he's he's not going to beat anybody better than top like anybody in the top 10. Is what and, and this guy Dennis, is. his skill set's there. It's just he need like Mark said, he just needs to finally put it together. Um all right. Um, next on this, the next one we're gonna pick because we're not picking this Gillespie shit or Drober and Camacho. I, I don't know how they came up with this fucking fight order. Um, favorite of the podcast: Bobby Green, Tarek, and on Eric Coke. Bobby Green is coming in minus one fifty-five. Eric Close Coke plus one thirty-five. Bobby Green hadn't fought in a long fucking time, and we had a split draw with him and Lando Venata. Um, Eric Coke. Um, we haven't seen Eric Coke since. Uh, June, June, where he lost to Clay Guida. Um, I uh, Derek Coke, as I, Eric Coke, as I mentioned, is the underdog. I'm taking Eric Coke. I think this is a hard one to pick in general, but uh, given Eric Coke, given Eric Coke coming from that Duke Rufus camp, and Bobby Green being the striker that he is, I think it's gonna be a, fun, a good time, and I think it's gonna be just a very close matchup overall. But Bobby Green's not winning fights, man. I don't like Bobby Green, but he's just not winning fights. It's been a long time since he won a fight. So, I mean, Eric Koch at least is trading them back and forth. I'm going to take Eric Koch. What do you think, uh, Steph? Well, I think he's finally going to get one. Uh, That's Green. totally fair, man. <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't have picked Bobby Green if it wasn't for that fight against Lando. 
Um, like I said, he, he was one of my kind of nominees for comeback of the year, just because um, having personally rooted for him for a little while, uh, you like to see that there's still fight left in guys. Um, what do we say? It's always troubling when you see a fighter come and there's just no fight left in them. Like, you know, a Jordan Mean comes to mind. But Bobby, the way he came back from that, like, I, I left that fight thinking this guy still has something to give in the cage. Um, and Coke has been wildly inconsistent. He's had a lot of injuries himself. He's been pretty inactive. Like, I feel like he, he moved up to lightweight. He looked good once, said he was going to be here for a while. And then, may, what, I maybe saw him like one or two more times after that. Like, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I haven't looked at him in depth to know like what his situation's been, but he seems like he's been out of the picture a little bit. So I see there being some rust with him as well. And um, yeah, maybe this is just all heart. But uh, I like Bobby Green, and I and I, I still think he's got something. Oh yeah, we'll see. This is another close one, man. A lot of these fights very close on paper. Marcus, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going with Bobby Green as well, and I really, I want to, you know congratulate Bobby for picking the other fight because I definitely started feeling hey, like we're going to pick hey, all man, I'm in la- I'm in last place. You guys are tied. You guys are everybody picking the same shit. I'm just going to dig that hole even deeper by getting wrong. This one wrong here. Uh, yeah, and it, it is one of the, I think a lot of the analysis is, is right. And what I, what I like about Bobby Green is that he's not just a striker. This dude knows how to wrestle too. And I feel like that could come into play here. If things aren't going great standing up, maybe he tries to shoot on Eric. Maybe he takes it to the ground and, you know, utilizes some of those skills. But um. It, it is a tough fight, and you definitely see the avenues that Eric could win, but it's just one of those things with Bobby. Like, I just like him so much, and it's kind of like with Bermudez. Like, I should have learned after so many times picking the guy and him not coming through that maybe I shouldn't be as confident. Man, three of us, three of us picked Quentin Jackson last weekend. So. I, know, I didn't, and then after <laughs> I felt I, – yeah. I had buyer's remorse on that one. It paid off, but I was not <laughs> feeling good about it. But, yeah, it, it, it is just one of those things. Like, some fighters I just – they they drop a lot of fights, but I still see what they can do, and it's just it's just like getting it all together. We, I mean, I think- we, we were we were there the night that I felt Bobby Green had his best performance against Josh Thompson, yeah, and like the biggest win, and like it was so much fun for the crowd to hate it and us three to love it. It made me so happy because um, I hate Josh Thompson. Just to back up, Bob, uh, Mike picked Bermudez as well, right? In that last yeah, he one, did, he did. He did. I was. And who's my pick in this one? Is he going Bobby Green as well? He is taking Bobby Green in this one, okay. so. I'm standing alone on the island here. Um, in this one, it's very clear Mike did not know Mer- who we're talking about. Mursad Bektik, Godofredo Pepe. Mursad Bektik is coming into this motherfucker. Beat him that line, minus, minus six, two, zero. So at minimum, I'm making this one back up, God willing. Um, plus four, sixty for Godofredo Pepe. Um, Mursad Bektik is, um, a fucking prospect at 145 pounds. But who is that years one old. loss next to his name? It's the man you, we already mentioned that can't be yeah, beat. Yeah, yeah. Darren, Elkins be Darren Elkins is the that. one loss on Mirsad Bektik's record. I mean, he was beating Darren Melkin's ass bad enough that people thought that they, uh, Team Alpha Male should throw the towel in after the second round. Good thing they didn't because Darren Elkins can't be stopped. Um, Pepe is just a guy from tough Brazil. One man, he wins some, he loses some. You know, he's losing this one. I got Mirsad Bektik. Mike's got uh, friend of Pepe. Mark, Steph, you guys are on the same page here with me, right? I got the Correct. biggest favorite on any card in a while. I mean, literally, this this is a fight to get him back on track is what it looks like to me, to be honest. Like, let's get the kid back on track. So, Marcus, you with us? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the last one we're going to pick, I like this fight quite a bit. Um, Randa Marcos, who's coming off of a split loss to Alexa Grasso, a fight I straight up don't remember. I remember. Not um Grasso Miss Weight though. I remember the Yeah, Grasso Miss Weight. 
Um, and uh, Juliana Lima, since losing the, uh, I, I'm mixing her up with somebody else, but she just I, she lost recently to Tisha Torres, um, dropping a record to nine and four. Um, Randa's coming in, uh, minus one sixty. Juliana Lima plus one forty. I'm picking the person I know. Stefan's about to pick too. I got uh, Randa Marcos. Uh, Randa Marcos. She tends to go. She wins one, loses one. And based on this record, she lost her last one. She is primed to win this one. Um, it's going to be a tough fight. Juliana Lima's kind of in the same boat as Randa Marcos, where she beats everyone I think she can beat, and she's lost to everyone I would think she would lose to. So they both kind of occupy the same space, but um, based on Randa's patterns, I think she's primed to bounce back. Steph, I'm trying to Alexa remember Grasso, this fight. all she could handle. Um, and you know how high I am on Alexa Grasso, so um, I like Randa. Yeah, um, I'm a... Uh... I'm looking at. I don't honestly don't remember that fight between Grasso and Marcos. It looks like the. It seemed like the right. But most people had it two one for uh, 51 percent gave it to Grasso, and forty percent gave it to Marcos. A split decision. So, uh, I think she's looked better though. Really, she looks like she's improving. To be honest, Randa Marcos. So, and also we just like her. So, um, what do you think, uh, Mark? Yeah, I, I like Randa too. Um, mostly just stylistically, um, looking at uh, Lima's past fights and seeing that she dropped a decision to Carla Esparza. Um, I think uh, Marcos kind of encompasses a same kind of style. I think she might be a little better standing up, but she's going to initiate a, a grappling game. And if Carla can hold her down, I think Marcos can as well. And I feel like that's going to be the victory. I, I don't know if it'll be the most exciting fight because I do think. Uh, I mean, this gonna- is another one that. This is another one that's very close. We have four fights with very close betting lines that we're picking, and then one slaughter of one that Mike somehow is on the opposite side yes. of. Yes, I like stylistically how the, how these two match up, and I think it, it, it helps Marcos in this one. Um, all right, so that's it um, for that card. Um, is there anything else in this card worth even mentioning to people? No, we ran anything that. That's fine. Um, um, all I right, let's say, do- I'm not familiar with him, but this betting line makes me want to pay attention. Uh, Gregor Gillespie, who is 10-0, I believe, is a minus 580 favorite on this yeah, card he, he's some Rinaldi. sort of prospect. Uh, i don't know it who he like, is but it it's it's making me think he's someone I'm, i should be paying attention to yeah i think we got to start paying attention to this kid because he's out of i'm looking at it i think i think i saw his fight against jason gonzalez that sounds like something i saw um, well, you know how and, i love to get behind an undefeated fighter that's that's true greatness in the waiting right there he i'm trying to find his age i think he's a young kid though he trades at a uh, long island mma and belmore kickboxing at academy 10 and 0. Um, he was an NCAA All American, won a national championship too. Um, shit. And he's what, 10 and 0 with four knockouts and four subs? So, I mean, we, we should keep an eye out for him in general. Good call, Steph. Like, he's going to be somebody we have to talk about going forward, it looks like, if he gets it done here. Um, and I think I see Caitlin Chukasian uh, just has lost like six fights in the UFC. I'm not even trying to be mean. I, I think she has. They just keep sending her out there. She's like that. Uh, there's another girl like that. Kaylin Curran. She's lost like five times. They're not letting him out. Going to let him stay forever. In the com- in the company. To be just All right. I, I feel like that girl can't get a win anymore. Uh, oh, she finally got one, but it was like on the third. It was like on the fight pass part of the card. Just okay. Well, good good, good the job, one, this guy. The one on the page. The one uh, page of Van Zandt card. The one before this one. Um, all right. Um, stuff we like. Um. I'm just going to say that I know tonight is the 25th anniversary of Monday Night Raw. And for, I'd say, about seven years, um, for me at least, it was the show I followed more than any other TV show. 
So it's, hell man, 25 years on any TV show is impressive. So that's kind of cool. That's all I got. 96 to 2003. That's what I, in my head, is how long I watch wrestling. Regular, religiously. Um, Stefan? Um, yeah, I've been watching a series. Uh, I'm about five episodes in now. Uh, Mark hadn't mentioned it in the past, but I think I actually surpassed where he was in watching it. Um, I finally got myself access to a Hulu account. So uh, I've been watching uh, Marvel's Runaways, and I really, really enjoy it. Um, I, I'd known about it for a minute. I was excited when it was announced. It just took me a while to get to watching it. Because um, I did actually read its comic series back uh, when we were in college. And um, it's written by Brian K. Vaughn, who is one of my favorite comic book writers. Uh, he wrote Why the Last Man, uh, Ex Machina. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love both of Saga, right, Mark? I, I haven't read it, but I think you and Eddie are fans. Yeah, Saga's um, incredible. Yeah, Brian K. Vaughn, I think he's really great at world building and developing interesting characters. Um, that's what I love about his style. I think his characters always feel multifaceted, multi-layered. Um, and yeah, that's why I completely dig this show. Um, there was a chance that I would kind of be a turned off to it because Runaways, it's a very, it has a lot of high school drama, right? You know, we've gotten a little bit older. Um, it's why I can't watch a lot of the, you know, the, uh, it's not the WB anymore. What is it? The um, CW? CW. Yeah, I can't watch a lot of the shows just because like a lot of the drama feels too forced. There always needs, like it, no matter what the scenario is, there's, there's got to be a will they, won't they, like dating drama. And of course, this is a high school kid, so it's ripe with it. But um, something feels more organic in it to me that um, I'm not as immediately put off by it. I don't feel like it's as cheesily acted or like me. Not to say it's like all brilliant either. You know, some of these are young actors. So there's hit and miss moments. But um, as a series, I'm I'm really digging it. Um, yeah. And again, Brian K. Vaughn is one of my favorite comic book writers. So that his property is getting a chance. Um, these are the type of series I don't know how they'll continue in this new Fox Disney merger world, but um, while this exists now, I'm pretty excited about it. Did, so, did you um, guys? Did you guys read? Uh, did you guys read uh, Ex Machina? I did not read that one, but I always know you were a fan, Bob. Yeah, I, I went through the whole thing. I, I think I like. I think why the Last Man was better, but it was still a really interesting concept. That one too. Um, I can give that to you. I still have that. Actually, yeah, dude's did a great you? writer. I mean, I'm sure I'd like it. I've l enjoyed all his work yeah. that I have read. So, um, yeah. Brian K. Vaughn, um, check out his stuff too. If you don't, if you're not interested in this Runaway series, exactly. I think they didn't they uh, Marvel's other show got axed. Um, the in one everybody humans? hated. Yep, that's gone. Which one? Yeah, Inhumans. Inhumans. Yeah, Let that was you, um, that was a big mess of a situation. I have a long winded rant about Inhumans, but we'll save that for another day. I got a specific rant related to Scott Buck. I think that's his name. Yeah, Scott Buck just shouldn't be given anything because he Scott also famously Buck. show ran. Iron Fist, one of the worst things. And it just gets... So you remember Star Wars, just to go back real quick? With time, I've been able to calm my opinion of it. But with time on Iron Fist, I just get angrier. Scott Buck was the showrunner for the last four seasons of Dexter. And people who watch Dexter, there's a real significant thing that happens those last four seasons. It's called The Show Becomes Garbage. He did that to us. And they gave him another show. What do you know? He's fucking failing upwards. How is this? We went from like Showtime to Netflix, and now he's on like ABC. Like, you know this like guy he's getting... <laughs> has like tapes on everyone, and like, hey, do you want this media like... scandal about you? This is a guy who's been blackmailing everyone to just get more and more projects. 
Yo, do you know, Mar- I mean, this is, Mark won't give a shit about this one. Marvin Lewis has been the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals since we were 16 years old. They've no been, playoff wins. They've never been good in that time either. <laughs> no playoff wins, man. Zero. Oh, and seven. He's got a two year extension. That dude has footage of the owner of the Bengals doing some dirty shit. You know it. Um, Marcus, stuff you like, stuff we like, brother. The part of the, this is honestly <laughs> is where people will go to hear Mark tells me, tell people what games are actually good because yeah. we stuff on a mic or making things up as we go. <laughs> and there is usually a lull, you know, around Christmas time and the beginning of the year used to be. These first three months used to be pretty barren, but um, that has changed in the last couple of years. And, you know, last week we had the arcade edition of Street Fighter. I also mentioned that and have been thoroughly enjoying uh, the Darkest Dungeon uh, gang at Switch port. I feel like it really has found a good home uh, on the portable, um, using the portable screen to use the controller and also the touchpad. Uh, the controls with Darkest Dungeon are a little tricky. Being able to touch stuff really helps that out a lot. Um, but this week there's two ginormous games coming out on Friday. Um the first is Dragon Ball Fighters, and I emphasize the Z at the end because they put it there in capitals. I don't know why, but um, this is a really interesting game because this is being developed by um, Arc System Works, who have been making really fantastic fighting games for the last like eight, ten years, maybe with their uh, Blaze Blue um, series. Uh, ultimately, for me, that series never—it's very anime inspired, and it just never really connected with me, and I never really gave those uh, games much of a chance. But now they're doing the Dragon Ball game and they are doing it a lot of service and justice um and just how they're representing the characters how good the game looks not only just like just visually but in motion and the little nuances they give each of the different characters personally it has a great roster as far as i'm concerned because it deals with a lot of the dragon ball characters that i'm most familiar with and not a lot of the ones that i'm not familiar with even though there's a lot of um from dragon ball super that i'm not super up on but man what an amazing looking game and uh one to definitely look out for if you like dragon ball or you like you know, three on three fighting games, and you haven't seen this in motion, definitely give it a uh, give it a look because it looks really great. Um, but also on the twenty sixth is Monster Hunter World, and what's interesting about this is the Monster Hunter franchise has been really big for a long time, but for a very long time, I think initially since its first Monster Hunter game that was on PS two, it's mostly been a handheld game. I think it's been on it might have been they might have had one on Wii U, and I think there's one in Japan on the Switch, but it has basically not been on a major home console for a very long time and they're coming back and a lot of people are excited about that. Um, obviously people who played it before, but a lot of people like myself that I never had the systems they were on. It didn't really interest me when it was a handheld, but now being a full fledged console game, um, it looks fantastic and uh, really interested to, to get in that one. It's, it's a very complex game. There's a lot of systems going on, but it looks a lot of fun and uh, I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, other than that, I did want to mention, Mike has mentioned it before, and Stefan has mentioned it before, and I just watched the first two episodes of My Hero Academia. Yes! And it is a really good show, and I would preference, I've only seen the first two episodes, and while I really like the concept, and I think that concept kind of carries that first episode, um, it kind of does what Stefan kind of mentioned with Runaways, is it kind of falls into some tropes that, at this point in my life, I'm kind of getting a little wary of in, you know, anime essentially you know the main character having this um conscious crisis about you know where he fits in the world and this trope where they always have to find whoever they think is going to have the answer and scream out like oh can i do this thing or not and then they'd be like i don't think you it's like it's it's been so played out that don't let that in the first episode kind of deter you because i watched it i was like oh i like the show it's fun i love the concept that they're going for that everyone has kind of like mutant powers um and there's lots of superheroes and villains 
Um, and it was really the second episode that it got me. I mean, I don't know if, if you remember stuff like there's a big conflict with a, an enemy and no one seems to be able to beat it. And the I was oil like, gas monster. Yeah, and I was like weirdly emotionally invested. Like I was worried about these characters that I didn't really like know or care about. But like I built, I kind of like bought into the tension that they were building. I was like, man, I'm like, I'm worried for this fictional world that I didn't really care that much about, but it's just really well done. Um, I'm looking forward to watching more of it. Um, Steph, did it used to be on Netflix? I tried to watch it on Netflix and it seemed like um, a lot of I don't yeah. think so. It's relatively new. So I feel right. like I uh, it was, but it got, cause I'm watching it on Hulu um, where it is on, but I feel like they must have upped the prices on Hulu because my advertisements are much longer than they used to be. They used to be like 40 seconds long and now they're 80 seconds. And I'm like, God, this is dragging. But I think it's on Crunchyroll too and those ads might be better. But yeah, I mean, two episodes in, really enjoy it. Um, I actually just saw this thing. You guys know, I can't, Taika Watiti. Yeah, he directed Thor um, most recently. Yeah. So he's got a movie he made called... Uh, what we do in the shadows. In the shadows. Yeah, they're doing a American reboot of a. They're making a series out of it on FX. It's uh, him and Jermaine Clement are doing it together. I was gonna say, so I it's still, if it doesn't have Jermaine, I'm not in because that's what sold me on it in the first place. So, well, I mean, I, I, FX generally does a good job. So we'll see. If how you've that, never uh, seen um, what we uh, do in the shadows. It's on the streaming service that you have access to, and you never use Amazon Prime. I use Amazon Prime all the fucking time, guys. What else do you guys watch? Batman. You gotta watch the Batman cartoon. Um, we uh, next week we're gonna be back. We're gonna talk about this card, or at least the main event at minimum. And well, hell, we'll, we'll learn who Greg Gillespie is. Um, and we're gonna preview a little bit this fight night card the following week, which is. We're gonna have to Stefan, we're gonna have to figure out this Eric Andrews guy who's nine and zero, so you can pick him against Leona Machida. I'll um, find we're a gonna reason have to, to pick against Machida. He owes. ten and zero. He's this is guy is ten and zero. He won a fight on, Fre on that Fresno card and said, "I want to fight Machida." And they said, "All right, you got to fight Machida in the middle of Brazil." Um, which I when they book a card, like when they book that as the main event, I wonder how many fucks the UFC even gives anymore about Fox Sports One. Um, yeah, so that's going on. Um. Thank you guys all for listening. We'll be back next week, as I mentioned. Um, I'm looking for our fucking exit music, so kill the time, folks. This is chat. Um, uh, we'll be back next week, and uh, until then, peace out. Later. See you.